You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the start of the NFL offseason here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Of course, it's been the Eagles offseason for about a month or so now. We've had a lot to delve into, but now it's the offseason for the entire NFL as the Super Bowl is complete. Yes, I'm Chris McPherson, and we got everyone back in the house. You know, Fran Duffy and I held it down last week on the podcast, but Alex Smith, obviously you were away for the Shrine Game Senior Bowl, a little vacay, so you're rest and relaxed and yep. back in the swing. The band is back together again. Indeed. We got BT, Brian Thomas, a producer, holding it down on the other side of the glass here in the studio, in the Expanded Studio as we're recording this. Uh, but a special shout out to all of you who are listening, wherever it is, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbay, whatever. Thank you very much for consuming the Eagles Entire Podcast. Make sure to rate and comment and let us know what you want to hear later on. In today's podcast, we're going to delve into some Eagles news, some roster moves, we're going to take a look back at the Super Bowl and our three and out, and we're going to get into your questions and some great ones that we've solicited from you on Twitter. We're going to delve into those. So let's get things going here in our three and out. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Three. Three. Now it's time for three and out. All right, so to start things off on three and out, Fran, I'm going to let you gets going here and we got to look back at the Super Bowl yes. the Denver Broncos are the Super Bowl champions Peyton Manning all but certain is going to ride off into the sunset a uh, wonderful footage of his brother Eli who looked almost <laughs> disgusted when uh, the Broncos sealed the deal and you know they showed the suite and everyone's celebrating but Eli had the look I on think his he face. was still just so nervous. Like, he just wanted to make sure that they actually <laughs> finished the game. I true, was, I true. was laughing. There was one meme today that I saw that said, uh, when you're forced to go to your brother's talent show, <laughs> which was good. I, that's definitely the look. I mean, obviously a, a great game to watch uh, in turn, if you like defensive football. Both sides, I thought, played pretty well defensively. Um, and the big thing to take away, I mean, if you're, look, if you're an Eagles fan and you're looking at the Broncos win and how they put together the roster, and this is what every team in the league does, you guys know. They look at the, who are the final two teams, how did they put together the roster, who are the final four teams, how did they put together the roster. And if you look at Denver, it's really a good mix of – of drafting well and then also adding some of those supplementary pieces in free agency. So, you know, you look and, you, yeah, did they spend big money on Aqib Tlaib and T.J. Ward in the secondary? Absolutely. But they've always drafted well, very well, in the front seven. They've added some pieces along the offensive line in the later rounds of the draft that have turned out to be starters. You look at Matt Paradis, the center. You look at the third-round pick, Michael Schofield. And obviously they had other lower-round picks that got injured early in the year from this past season that were on injured reserve for the game, so did not play. But they've always drafted well. They've added little supplementary pieces here and there. And then the big thing, too, if you're a Houston Texans fan and you had Gary Kubiak for however many years, and then he goes year one and he wins a, a title with Denver, yeah. I think the big thing to, to take into account is how much of an impact a staff can have on a head coach. And you add Wade Phillips, who obviously is one of the best coordinators in the game. He comes in off the couch in, in 2014 and wins a Super Bowl in year one. Obviously having a defensive mind, and what can that mean for Jim Schwartz and uh, his impact here at the Philadelphia Eagles? And it's just it goes to show you how much an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator can win or lose you a championship. To me, watching this game, and we all know that Peyton Manning, the name, the brand, is one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. It's great he got his second Super Bowl. But the Peyton Manning who played in this game certainly was not up 
to that level, and he hadn't been up to that level throughout the course of the year. So if you're an Eagles fan, I like to take that Les Bowen from the Daily News put out on Monday when he wrote, if you're an Eagles fan, you look at how this Denver Broncos team was constructed, if you have a middle-tier quarterback, if you don't have an elite guy, and how many truly elite guys are there at this point? Because we've seen the end now of Peyton Manning. Tom Brady, he's still one of the elite players, but he only has a few years left. You've seen Aaron Rodgers go up into that elite stats. I put Russell Wilson in that elite stats, Ben Roethlisberger. There are some guys up there, but who is that next wave? Who are going to be those young, up-and-coming guys? Could be the Derek Carrs, could be the Teddy Bridgewaters. But to me, if you don't have that top-tier quarterback, there are other ways to win. Obviously, strong defense. Special teams had a huge impact. Former Eagle Jordan Norwood had the big, I think it was set the record, the Super Bowl record yeah, yeah. for the longest yeah. punt return. Graham Gano of the Panthers missed a field goal, so special teams played a huge factor. Brandon McManus. Brandon McManus. Yes, made, yes, Temple made, of course. So three for three in the game, perfect throughout the entire postseason. So you look at this Eagles team, and you have Jim Schwartz coming in. The strength of the team is that front seven, that defensive line, especially with the attacking philosophy that they're going to have now. You say to yourself, okay, whomever the quarterback is going to be, if you can just build around that quarterback and you already have the strong defense and special teams in place, this Eagles team can make the transition very quickly. And what's the, one of the other things, too, is the, the Broncos had a, a, a lot of players in the secondary. They had just spent a ton of money in free agency. What did they do in the first round a couple of years ago? They drafted Bradley Roby in round one. What do they do in the front seven? They continue to add guys that can get after the quarterback. So if you're an Eagles fan looking for defensive help, I wouldn't shy away from a corner. I wouldn't shy away from an edge rusher uh, earlier in the draft than people would think. So that, that's certainly a takeaway as well. Or an interior lineman, sure. I would say, yeah. as well. Yeah. I think we should also sneak in here that C-Mac correctly predicted the Super Bowl this year. He did. We, our predictions on an, from earlier podcasts were way off. Although I had, I had the Panthers winning, so I wasn't too far off. But um, I feel like we talked well about the game last week and kind of yeah. predicted, you know, pretty much how the game went you know yeah. we talked about uh how it would need to be a defensive battle and how giving wade phillips two weeks to prepare for that offense uh favored in the, in the broncos way and for me with carolina two things stood out one is they just really hadn't been tested especially in the postseason they got up so early in both games the one against seattle the one against arizona in the conference championship that how would they respond when they were trailing and had to overcome some adversity and no one had attacked cam newton the way the denver broncos wow. did throughout the course of the entire season. And still, I felt that Denver let them hang around just enough where I thought Cam was going to make a play or two. I was waiting for something to happen, but it seemed like the guys around Cam never brought up their, never played to the level that they had throughout the course of the year. The offensive line, which everyone said at the beginning of the year wasn't very good, didn't play well. And of course, the receivers. They have Kelvin Benjamin go down with the ACL. They have no one at that position. It really looked like that. On Sunday. Yeah, and I don't think that Kelvin Benjamin's loss played too big of a role because I just don't think the Panthers' offense ever got into a rhythm. I think that's what they do. They establish the run game early. They get the read option going a little bit. Uh, and, and then they mix in the big plays to Ted Ginns and Greg Olson's, and they just never seem to get into a rhythm on offense. And, you know, Cam was very up and down, and Denver just really punished them the whole game. And take into account as well, you mentioned how Carolina was still in the game, late in the game. Correct me if I'm wrong, when, that, when Cam fumbled that football and he had the ability to jump on it, was it only a six-point game at that point? I mean, even at that yeah, point, that so. game yeah, was I still very much. Scored. Yeah, I mean, that was still very much uh, a winnable game at that point. Cam getting killed. Yeah, I know. Killed for not going after that football. What would you make of the post game with Cam Newton? Not that 
Yeah, you know, I think that's the price in terms of being an emotional quarterback and you have, you kind of ride the highs and lows. And I say an emotional quarterback because you're in the spotlight so often. If that was a, a receiver or if a, a defensive end, I don't think people would be making as big of a deal about it. But uh, same thing happened with LeBron James in the past. Same has happened with Peyton Manning in the past. He's walked off without uh, shaking hands and things like that. I mean, if you're an emotional player, obviously you have a lot invested into the game. Uh, you want to react a little bit better, but you're not going to – it doesn't really change my overall view of Cam. Well, from what I read, he had Chris Harris on the right. podium, like, behind him there, back-to-back. My question is, why is it even set up like that in the first place? Yeah. If you're going to have yeah. opposing teams with one team having just won the Super Bowl, the ultimate high versus the low of lose, just losing the Super Bowl, and you're going to have those guys back-to-back where, you know, they can hear all the cheering and how happy they are. It's, it's, a, it's a weird setup. Yeah. But still, even with all that said – you're the quarterback, you're the leader of the team. Um, I think you should you know, face the music, so to speak. I just hope that Carolina can't respond from this. They can't rebound in 2016 because you hope they take a step back because all their pieces pretty much are in place and you figure they're going to be able to add to the offensive line. They're going to get Kelvin Benjamin back. You know, They still have Cam Newton in his prime, so it's going to be very intriguing to see how they handle the adversity of losing the Super Bowl because – I remember covering the Eagles back when they went to Jacksonville and lost to the Patriots by three points. And everyone after that game and in the months following, we're like, oh, this, this Eagles team will come back. They'll be better than ever. They'll learn. They'll grow, this and the other. They haven't been back to a Super Bowl since. It's very, very difficult to do. Everything lined up right for Carolina this year with the regular season, how it went, with the postseason. It's tough to get all the way back to the Super Bowl. Absolutely. All right. So next up here, the rumor mill. Yes. Season is in full swing. We had a little bit of yeah. it with the coaching surge, but now that the offseason is here for all 32 teams, we're starting to hear a lot of different things, especially about the Eagles, Alex. So a couple different uh, items that popped up over the last uh, week or so. Uh, the first one comes from Adam Schefter, who says that the Eagles won't use the franchise tag on Sam Bradford, which may or may not be surprising. But the real surprising part about this report was that they may be interested in reacquiring Nick Foles. And... To me, if, if you're going to say, okay, we're, we're going to draft a guy in the first round, we're going to use that number 13 pick or whatever pick, if they trade up, they trade back, whatever it is, if we're going to use our first pick to get our guy, our guy for the future, and if you want to bring Nick Foles back for you know, a year to be that bridge quarterback, everybody, you know, everybody keeps saying that Doug Peterson bridge quarterback. <laughs> of course. I'm sure, I'm sure Doug Peterson's sick of hearing that right now. But if you want somebody who can you know, step in, who – Who's, I, I guess he's not really familiar with the offense, but he's familiar with the organization. He's been able, he's proven that he can win uh, in Philadelphia and, and put up some success. Obviously, he had that monster season with the 27 touchdowns and two picks, um, and he struggled this year. I think he had seven touchdown passes and 10 interceptions with the Rams, so he had seven TDs in 11 games. He had seven touchdowns with the Eagles in that one game in Oakland where he tied the NFL record. So uh, if if you need a bridge quarterback, I guess I'd be okay with Nick Foles. Um, but th- at the same time, you also still have Mark Sanchez under contract. So, um, But really, a, a couple different things to look at there with Bradford won't get the franchise tag and Foles coming back. Uh, the Bradford part doesn't really surprise me. What's the franchise tag going to be, 20 some million dollars for one year? Um, but I, I don't know. It would be weird to see Nick Foles back here. Yeah, it's from the way things ended during his time here. I mean, he was given the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. You know, was not really able to capitalize off that 
you know, once in a lifetime, 27 and two season they had in 2013. Now, Peterson is familiar with them because he was a quarterback's coach when Nick was a rookie in 2012. Harry Rosen was a GM who helped bring him here to Philadelphia in the first place. So certainly people here know what he can do and what he's capable of. It's just you traded him away. Can you bring him back? Can you, you know, bring him in and say this is going to be the guy who's going to lead us in 2016? I just don't know if you can go down that road. I'm, am I open to it? Certainly, because we've seen the best of Nick Foles. It's just a matter of could he ever get back to that level that he played at a couple of seasons ago. Uh, I just think it's it's funny looking back at the reaction. And obviously, look, he's still a, a member of the St. Louis Rams. Uh, he's not an impending free agent, so who knows what the acquisition of him would require that remains to be seen. But you see some of the reaction, like on Twitter and on Sports Talk Radio, and. You would think that the end of Schefter's report said, look to reacquire Nick Foles and sign him to a six-year, $125 million yeah. deal. Like, I mean, if you're bringing him in, like you guys said, like if you're bringing him in as a bridge quarterback, why is that any different than you know, giving, the, giving the keys to Mark Sanchez for a year or, or to any – I mean, if, if that's who Doug Peterson wants to be, his bridge quarterback, why is that as big of a I – don't I don't understand the uproar to me now, personally. Of course, reports came out right afterward that the Eagles haven't made a decision on Bradford with the tag or not, and it wouldn't be able to work financially because of what they have to take on in a trade sure. to be able to make the Nick Foles trade exactly. trade work. Well, so uh, another rumor that kind of goes hand in hand with this one okay. is this one comes from Ian Rappaport of uh, NFL Network, who says that Demarco Murray and the Eagles are quote heading for a stare down, and you know there's speculation thrown out on Twitter that could the Eagles make a Foles for Demarco Murray trade work, but I don't think the numbers are going to add up there, and I just don't think that was going to happen. And just heading for a stare down, I, I'm not even sure what that means. I know that he wrote a full article on it, um, but d I, in my opinion, DeMarco Murray is going to be back here. I think the coaching change is going to reinvigorate him. Um, I think he's excited about that, to get into a system that's uh, a little bit more suited to what he can do as a runner. Uh, I, I actually think that DeMarco is going to have a really nice bounce back season next year. So um, heading for a stare down, Yes, what you know, he's he's going to be making a lot of money next year. Um, his productivity in his first year with the Eagles wasn't where fans or perhaps the organization thought it would be. But I, I like I said, I expect a bounce back here from him, and I I don't see anything happening on the Demarco Murray front. What was so bizarre was that as Ian Rappaport was giving this report during an NFL Network broadcast on ESPN, Demarco Murray is saying how much he wants to be in Philly next year. So something's not jiving here. I don't know what it is. I don't know where the report's coming from, who's feeding Rappaport the information. Someone's giving it to him, sure. obviously. I don't know if it's an agent, if it's DeMarco himself or what, but you know, from the contract standpoint, it seems like the Eagles are going to be tied to DeMarco for 2016. And a trade, it would have to be like a sign-and-trade NBA-type deal where he'd have to be willing to renegotiate his contract in order to be sent off. And I don't know if you're DeMarco Murray... Unless you really don't want to be here, I don't know why you would do that. Those things never happen in the NFL. I, I mean, they never happen. That's why when you see reports like that, it's like I, I had the same reaction. I was like, well, what does that mean? You're having, they're having a stare down. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just don't know what, what, what does that mean. So, so And, I mean, hey, look, Doug Peterson spoken very highly of Murray, saying that they want to build the offense around his talent. And if you're going to have a younger quarterback next year, that would be the smart thing to do. You would want to have the run game help support and allow the young quarterback to develop. So even if it's Sam Bradford, Mark Sanchez, whomever the quarterback is, you want to take advantage of what you have at your disposal, and it would make sense 
to have Murray back in that instance. So, and speaking of things making sense, uh, the final rumor we want to touch on here. This one comes from Elliot Shore Parks of NJ.com, who says that the Eagles and Fletcher Cox are working on a huge new contract with potentially over fifty million dollars guaranteed in guaranteed money, uh, and it just makes sense for the Eagles. This was the move that I think all Eagles fans have been waiting for all offseason long. Okay, they, they got the deal done with Ertz. They, they locked up Lane Johnson. Uh, Selleck got a new deal. Vinny Curry's back. And it's like this is going to be the move that kind of brings it all together. Um, and it, like I said, I, I think it just makes so much sense. I think it's going to happen. Uh, I don't know what the money's going to be. I don't really care what the money is. But I, it just makes so much sense. I think Fletcher wants to be here. He's proven how disruptive he could be. Uh, he was. We've talked about it before, but he was drafted to be in that Jim Schwartz Y yep. nine defense with the, the four three front, where he can just get that interior pressure, which can be so crucial to the success of a defense. If you can get uh, quarter pressure on a quarterback up the middle, um, and I think it's the scheme is suited to him. I think he wants to be here. Everybody wants him here, and uh, so it, it just makes a lot of sense to me that they're working on this deal, um, and I hope it gets done sooner rather than later. What did Jim Washburn say back in 2012 that Fletcher Cox was born to play, to play in the scheme. system, yeah. in the scheme? Yeah. yeah. Him and Vinny, too. Vinny, yeah. Vinny was the same deal. They both came to the same draft class, and uh, Washburn spoke glowingly about how much he, they loved both those players on tape to fit in the wide nine. So, absolutely perfect fit, and it's just great that the Eagles are taking care of their own. It sends the right message throughout the rest of the locker room yep. that if you play well, you're going to be rewarded. So... I think everyone's optimistic that this deal will get done, but it's funny that you mentioned, Alex, how fans just want the Fletcher Cox deal to get done. Every time we've been announcing on Twitter, right. you know, deal done, sign Fletcher Cox. <laughs> I don't care until yeah. Fletcher Cox yeah. is done. Just get the deal done with Fletcher Cox. That's like every reaction is like, I don't care, just get Fletcher Cox's deal you know, done. So too is that even not just from fans, but even the other Eagles players on Twitter have been saying like, <laughs> Fletcher, you're next. Like, you're next, bro. You're next. <laughs> so it's like everybody's just waiting for it to happen. So I, I, I think that's all good news for Eagles fans. All right, so enough of the rumors. Let's get to some actual roster moves. You already touched on the uh, Vinnie Curry uh, contract that he received last week. Well, the Eagles taking care of some other business to clear some potential cap space. Maybe it's for Fletcher Cox. Maybe it's for Sam Bradford. Who knows? But on Monday, the Eagles released veteran wide receiver Riley Cooper, a former fifth-round pick in 2010 who had a breakout 2013 season. Never really was able to match that production in a two-year since. He did have a career-high 55 receptions in 2014. Uh, but was relegated to just about 50% of the snaps on offense in 2015. And with the money coming his way, I believe the reports indicate that the Eagles will save close to $3 million. I think it's $2.9 million toward the cap with this move. So the Eagles need more production from the wide receiver position. And Cooper, you know, good player, but, you know, it just felt like that this was the right move to make here. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it was a very surprising move. Um, yeah. He had that one, like you said, 2013, he had that breakout year, but I think that was kind of the peak for him. I don't think fans really expected him to ever be a 1,000-yard wide receiver, you know, 10 touchdowns. The hope was that, you know, he could be a, a red zone threat. He could continue to help out in the blocking game, which was obviously a huge part of um, why he was still getting so many snaps in the offense, I think, under Chip Kelly, was because he was such a reliable blocker. But um, at the end of the day, I think that the production just didn't match up with the money that he was going to end up making. So, um, you know, he, he had the really good year. I don't think he ever really um, got to where the fans wanted him to be as a wide receiver, but um, it just made sense for the money. 
The, the other facet of this that we have to talk about, and I thought Dave Spadaro did a great job in his column yesterday uh, illustrating that, was what it means for the rest of the receiving core moving forward. You know, we know uh, that they have big plans for Nelson Aguilar and what can he be moving forward. You know, that uh, Greg Lewis, I think uh, Dave mentioned that Greg Lewis had high grades on him when he was with the Saints uh, coming out of USC. You know, we have some of these other pieces here. Jordan Matthews, where does he fit in this offense? Where does Josh Huff fit in this offense? Is he going to be just a slot receiver or will he be able to play outside? Is there somebody else on the outside that's not here, whether it's free agency, could a big target free agent, uh, you know, the people talk about Alshon Jeffrey and some of these other big name wide receiver targets, or do they go the route of the draft again and try and bring in uh, somebody that can play on the outside and start right away? That'll be uh, one of the big things to follow this offseason. Go back to Cooper for a second. Everyone says, why did they give him the free agent contract after that 2013 season? And I think the biggest reason was, A, they were not going to have Deshaun Jackson back. B, Jerry Mackin was coming off that second ACL. They, at that point, they didn't have anybody yep. at wide receiver. You had to secure the one guy who has produced for you. And he and Nick Foles had a pretty good rapport with one another. So I know a lot of fans are still angry about that instance about, how they gave him the long-term deal, and then of course Macklin never, you know, ended up leaving in free agency following his breakout 2014 campaign. But just back then, it's not like you broke the bank from A and B. You just didn't have anyone else at the time. Going back to what you're saying, Frank, about the current roster, I thought it was interesting how Greg Lewis spoke highly of Josh Huff yeah. in the interview that he had with Dave Spadaro, just saying you see some of the explosive skills. The challenge will be can Greg Lewis find a way to get that out of Huff on a consistent basis? Yeah. Because you get teased by those flashes, and you're getting to the point now, he's entering his third season, you can't be a tease anymore. Right. You've got to start producing. You know, at some point, it's got to come to fruition. It's interesting. I was watching him. This obviously isn't the Journey to the Draft podcast, but I was watching Braylon <laughs> Addison, the, the receiver from Oregon. Okay. And I just made me remember what Huff was like in college and how big of a playmaker he was for that Oregon offense. And uh, he was used all over the field, very similar to how Addison was, was used. Uh, I'll be interested to see how he's using this offense, you know, and how Doug Peterson can move him around and do all those different things, uh, you know, from a from a motion standpoint and where he aligns up. I, I'll be very interested to see how Huff's used. Did Josh Huff play a little bit of running back at Oregon as well? Yeah, and Addison was the same thing. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's a role that I think he could play in this offense. The you know, guy who can play in the slot, he can play outside, he can take a couple handoffs here and there. Um, I think he could have that kind of role, the DeAnthony Thomas role. That's exactly right. Uh, I think that could maybe be where he fits in with uh, this Doug Peterson uh, offense, but we'll have to see. He has a running back build to him. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. When you look at his body frame, it's not you know what you typically would think of a receiver body. He almost is built like a running back. So. But but like you guys said, he just shows those flashes where he can be maybe the most explosive player on this team, and it's you just want to see it consistently. You know how many different ways can they get the ball into his hands? So. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I, I, I think the future, I, I hope the future is bright for Josh Huff. I hope that he can, because if, if he puts it all together, I think he's going to be a, a dynamic player for this team. It's going to be interesting for the Eagles going to a draft because you've already invested a second in Jordan Matthews, right. a first in Aguilar, and a third in Huff. You put a lot of resources. Yep. But you can't say, well, that precludes us from, doing more, from putting in more, right. but you need time. You need those guys who you did draft to develop. So it'll be interesting to see from that standpoint how they'll address wide receiver, whether it's going to be for agency, even though outside of Alshon Jeffrey, it doesn't seem like there's really any other big names set to hit the market that I can recall. Not I mean, I recall. Jeffrey is like the guy, yep. you know, and quite honestly, I don't want to break the bank on Alshon Jeffrey, yeah, yeah. 
you know, so do you do that or do you try to add more pieces through the draft? So that's going to do it for us on three and out. Now it's time to tackle your questions in mailing it in. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. All right, time to get into your questions, some really good ones that we got off of Twitter. Let's jump right into it. The first one comes from Manny Chang, who goes by at Manny560Q on Twitter. Wants to know, how do we think the DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, Darren Sproles triumvirate will be used in this new hybrid offense? I think that they'll be used to the best of their abilities. So I would imagine that you're going to see DeMarco Murray getting downhill. Now, whether it'll be you know in power or inside zone, whatever the run scheme is, he'll be kept going downhill. This staff, uh, whether you're talking about Frank Reich, Doug Peterson, all these assistant coaches, and the teams that they have been in, they have been very, very good at leveraging the skill sets of the players on the roster. So putting them in best position to succeed, I would imagine that you're going to see DeMarco Murray in that kind of role. You're going to see many more uh, individual matchup plays for Darren Sproles and trying to get him in space against linebackers, not just from the, in terms of the natural flow of the game, like what we've seen here through the first couple of years of Sproles' tenure here in Philadelphia, but uh, meaning more, let's get him isolated one-on-one, and we are going to aim to get him the football. And if you think about all the coaching changes with Doug Peterson being here and Frank Reich being here, one position coach that didn't change is Deuce. Yeah. Deuce Staley is still the running back coach. Is, is still the running back coach. He knows these guys better than anybody. He had a full season with them last year. He worked the rotation with them, and I, he knows what their skill sets are, and I think that he'll be able to incorporate that nice into the new offense. Yeah, I think Fran hit the nail on the head on terms of the way to get them isolated in matchups, which will benefit the offense overall, where in the past it was more scheme, let's attack whatever the defense is doing. No, let's say, okay, we know Darren Sproles is going to be a matchup nightmare against this player. Let's be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, and you saw that with whether it was Danny Woodhead in San Diego and Frank Reich and, and the tight ends that they've got there, Ladarius Green and Antonio Gates, or uh, in Kansas City with Travis Kelsey and Jamal Charles and Shankandrick West, all those guys, uh, you know, always they were able to find ways to get them matched up one-on-one. Okay, next question comes from our good friend Eagles Troll, the world at Eagles Troll on Twitter. How do we see the defensive end position shaking out in terms of rotation? So I would say I'm going into this with Graham and Curry. They're going to be your starters. I think that we can pretty much count on. After that, the question is going to be a player like Connor Barwin. Now, Barwin himself has said he believes that he's a defensive end in this new rotation. But does Jim Schwartz see him as a, you know, to use his previous position, the jack-of-all-trades, where he's a guy who maybe a linebacker at times, maybe he has his hand down in the dirt. He did that in college, and he did that his rookie year at Houston, so he is familiar with it. After that, I think you're going to have some questions because it's going to be players like, can Marcus Smith transition to defensive end? Travis Long, who is battling from an ACL injury. You know, he's a player who I think would have made the team in 2015. You know, does he make the transition to defensive end? So I think you're pretty set with those first two. But after that, you would probably put Barwin in the mix there. But it's a couple guys that, you know, from a depth standpoint, you're going to have some question marks about. Yeah, and that's why I said earlier, talking about the way the Broncos built that team, I don't think that you're looking at this Eagles offseason and say, oh, yeah, I think they're good at defensive end. I would imagine you're going to see at least one name get added. 
it was interesting that the Broncos used their first round pick last year on Shane Ray. Right. After the Super Bowl, I forget if it was Elway who said it, but they pretty much said don't rule out them drafting another pass rusher as early as the first round. I mean, they realized the importance of it, and I don't want to say you can't have enough fastballs, but that's sort of the philosophy with it is that if you're going to be able to attack the quarterback, you need premium players there because you never know what's going to happen. Uh, just getting back to the rotation really quickly, it yeah. would be really tough for me to not see Connor Barwin as a starter. And, you know, you can put starter in quotes and say, well, what's it really going to mean if you're working this rotation? But if you have Graham and Barwin and then with Vinnie Curry, could they possibly get equal snaps, equal playing time with, with how that rotation works? Can they play on both sides as pass rushers? Probably. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that works. But it would be really tough for me to not see Connor Barwin who I think has become a fan favorite with, with how hard he works here uh, since he's been with the Eagles, and really one of you know one of those contracts that uh, he, he's really lived up to since he signed that deal uh, before the 2013 season. So um, it would be tough for me to see him not on the field, whether it's as a linebacker or whether it's as a defensive end. And I do agree that I think he's better suited to, to move into that defensive end spot. It's just with Graham, we've seen him do it here in Philadelphia, and maybe that's maybe why I'm maybe assuming to an extent that he would be the guy right. that would transition to it, whereas, you know, he did a great job of making that transition to stand up outside a linebacker where he'll go back to more of his natural position. I think Connor Barwin has made stand-up linebacker his natural position, but maybe, you know, maybe I'll be wrong and he'll go back to defensive end and maybe it will be an equal rotation where last year that was a big question at outside linebacker was, okay, you have Graham Barwin, Who's that third guy? They tried to force Vinnie Curry into that spot because they really didn't have the third guy you could count on. Whereas now you can say, all right, there are three guys that you can say, you know, with pretty good confidence you can put in there. And then we saw Marcus Smith towards the end of the season yep. um, had that really nice game uh, in the finale against the Giants. So what's he going to do? How, how's he going to look when he comes back? He's talked about coming back stronger. Um, and, I, and I'm not ready to give up on Marcus Smith. I still think that he can be a productive player. So... Um, we shall see. All right, next question comes from Jorge Quinones on Twitter. Wants to know, should the Eagles sign Philly native Jari Evans, who was released by the Saints, former Pro Bowl guard? And we've seen Malcolm Jenkins on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. How was he? Recruited. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, these ex-Saints have worked out pretty well in Philly, so why not Evans? So going to continue this. The, uh, that chain there, why not? Go yeah. for it. You know, I think, and I haven't, I haven't studied Jari Evans uh, specifically, so I don't know, you know how well he's still playing you know, and what the deal is there. But uh, obviously has been a professional guard, starting quality NFL offensive guard uh, over the course of his career and has played at a very high level. So uh, if he is, still has that left in the tank, I think he, he would be a great addition. So now we just got to see uh, you know, what does he have left in the tank, what does the money look like, and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I think we can all agree that the interior of the O-line, specifically the guard positions, uh, is a spot where the Eagles really need to shore things up heading into next year. So, uh, if, like Fran said, if, if he's got anything left, I think, sure, why not? I mean, just think of how at the end of last year's training camp and preseason, I mean, there were reports the Eagles were trying to get Chris Chester, right. you know, the former Redskins guard who now is with, he went to the Falcons. Right. Um, they were trying whatever they could to be able to make that work. So, you know, if, if the price is right and Evans can still play, I think it would just helps the Eagles free up their draft resources to say we don't need to use the 13th overall pick on offensive linemen, specifically a guard. You know, you can now allocate those resources to something else. 
All right, the next question comes from, and also we should also note that Greg Lewis was with the Saints, so he would know a thing or two about Jari Evans. So, think about that. so that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, Jared Beer, at FernDiddy420 on Twitter, wants to know what is the best solution to the Eagles quarterback conundrum? Do you draft one, re-sign Bradford, pay a free agent, um, you know, there's trade for, for another one? I thought Mike Mayock, in an interview that he did with Dave Spadaro on the Eagles Live podcast this past week, you know, kind of outlined the options there and what could be there for the Eagles at number 13. And the issue is, it looks like Jared Goff and Carson Wentz are going to be off the board by that point. Sorry, Alex. Okay. <laughs> so, pending on what I you did think. I did see a mock draft of him going 20th overall, though, recently. There so, maybe he'll yeah. slide. I'm holding out hope. Yes. Uh, but it's like... You know, if you're looking for that top-tier quarterback, he may not be there at 13. You know, you might be going to Paxton Lynch, Connor Cook. You know, there's some mock drafts that sell Connor Cook as a first-round pick. Mayock himself said that he still puts Connor Cook in that upper tier of quarterbacks, depending on what you like. Um, I think with Bradford, it's going to be a negotiation. Again, the Eagles have said positive things about him. You know, they know the way he progressed during the season, but is he going to want a break-the-bank type of contract. And if that's the case, is that the best way right. to utilize the salary cap space? You know, could they franchise them? Um, franchise them? One fan, uh, was it Big Dizzaddy you said on Twitter? Big Dizzaddy wants to know why not transition tag them? And the difference between the transition tag and the franchise tag is the franchise tag is the average of the top five position players. This is the top ten for the transition tag. You have a chance to match a deal, but you get no compensation, whereas you would get first-round picks as a result from uh, the franchise tag. So, you know, that would be an option, possibly for the Eagles, to transition tag them. I think it's just a matter of do they want to pay someone big money for one year and then draft someone, you know, almost have to say to yourself, well, what are we going to do next year? You gotta right. go, you're back in the same situation. So I don't... I don't have the answer in terms of what I think the best situation is at this point. I mean, free agent-wise, I don't know what you're really going to be able to, to get out there. Um, I mean, to me, it's they got to figure out what they want to do with Bradford first and foremost. And if it's not Bradford, if they're going to move on from Bradford, what are you going to acquire in the draft? Because at least, as you said earlier in the podcast, Alex, you still have Mark Sanchez at your right. disposal, at least as a veteran option so that the cupboard isn't bare. Exactly, and I think that that's... You said it best. We don't know what the what the best option is because, you know, we haven't talked with Doug Peterson and with Frank Reich and with Howie Roseman. And that, those guys are all going to put their heads together and say, Here, here's what the best option is. And whatever they think is the best option, that's what's best for them. You know, so they may say, look, our best chance right now is uh, we're going we're gonna to trade. We're going to put all of our assets in and we're going to trade up to, to number, number one. We're going to trade up number one and draft what we want. If that's what they want to do, it's like what we talked about a year ago with Chip Kelly and Marcus Mariota. If they, if they, if he thought, hey, we we're we're going to trade everything we have and we're going to get our guy, that's what you got to do. If you want to pay all your money and say we're going to get Sam Bradford and he's going to be our guy, the, the decision to find out who your guy is at quarterback is the most important one a coach can make. So it's uh, it'll be up to them. In my mind, I I go back and forth. I feel like every other day as to whether the Eagles should you know try to sign Bradford to a long term contract or if they should say, hey. New coaching staff. Let's get our guy, and, and you know, we'll we'll build him and we'll mold him into what we want. So, I go back and forth on it all the time. I do I do think that tagging him doesn't really make sense to me, just because then you're in the same situation again next year. 
um, with, you know, does he come back? And obviously with, with Sam, he could prove more next year. Um, and he could prove that, you know, he's the real deal at quarterback. So I go back and forth because I, I really liked what Bradford did here. I've been a big fan of his, um, especially what he did in the second half of the season. But, you know, if you, then you look at some of his career numbers back when he was with St. Louis and, you know, it's why has he never lived up to his potential? And there's a number of reasons that you can point to as to why it didn't happen. So uh, I go back and forth always. But just to me, I think your, your two options are signing Bradford to a long-term contract this offseason or drafting a guy with the number 13 pick and kind of handing over the keys. And I will say that I think with some of the contract extensions that the Eagles have the new contracts that they've given out over the past couple of weeks that I don't think this is a rebuilding team right now. I don't think this is a long-term, you know, we're going we're gonna to take three or four years to get back into contention. I think, I think the front office thinks that this team can turn things around, get right back on track, which could mean that, you know, they may be looking at a more experienced guy like Bradford. So well, we'll that's see. the thing. What gives you the best chance of winning in 2016? Right. If I'm taking money out of the equation, it's probably going to be Sam Bradford. Right. Okay. Now, obviously, money does come into play here. Mm -hmm. So you do have to consider the salary cap, not just the short-term, but the long-term ramifications of it. If you don't, if you allow Bradford to leave, the challenge is going to be everyone's going to assume you're going quarterback at 13. Sure. So does that leave you in a precarious position where if a team in the teens or 20s might want someone, maybe if it's Paxton Lynch, whomever, do they say, well, we just got to get past 13. We got to get past Philly. So you almost have to you almost put yourself in a position where you might have to move up depending on how other teams view the quarterbacks. Now, if you look at some of the draft analysts' big boards, quarterbacks aren't going to be that high. They're not the highest position or highest grade players on the board. You look at Josh, last year where it was one and two. Exactly. You know, you look at guys like Josh Norris, Dane Brewer, guys we respect, you know, they don't have quarterback, you know, in the top ten per se, but those are the positions that always get pushed up the highest because that's what you need to win. You know, it's a matter of playing the draft at that point. I, I think that if you tag Bradford, that you're really what it allows you to do is, and think about all the guys that have gotten franchise tag, not just in Philadelphia, but over the course of the last few years around the league. It allows you to extend the amount of time that you have to, to, to get an extension done, which True. happens almost all the time, is uh, a team tags a player and then that gives them, you know, and then they get a, a long-term deal done in July or they get a long-term deal done in May. Um, you know, I think that you give, it allows you to extend that time period. But then also, you're talking about, like you said, if you have a franchise tag on a player, now you're almost hiding your intentions a little bit. You may not need to trade up to, to, uh, to get up, to, up high, or you can use that tag as a piece to move up. You know, so now I think that it gives you some flexibility by tagging. I, I'm, to me, it, it makes sense. I, I can be swayed either way. Yeah. The thing is, there's no one else on the list of free agents who you would say you would franchise tag. You're not going to use Eleanor Walter Thurman, I would right. think. Vinnie Curry would have been the one you could have debated, but if you're just looking at the premium positions, no one care about it. You're not going to use it on those guys. So it's going to be Bradford to me or it's not. Right. So it's a matter of where they go from there. Last question comes from Ryan Anderson on Twitter. Who is your sneaky pick for the team's defensive player of the year in 2016? The sneaky play. So, obviously, we all would have said Fletcher Cox this year, and we would assume that that would be the chalk answer. Correct. But the sneaky play. You know, it's the sneaky play for next year. I think Vinny Curry's a good sneaky play. Okay. You know, he was brought back for, for a reason. I think that the, the defensive staff has a plan for how to use him and try and really get the most out of his skill set and getting after the quarterback. I would imagine that his 
snap totals are going to spike significantly uh, in 2016. Uh, I'll go with Vinnie Curry. It's a very good answer. Um, to disagree with you, I'm going to go into the secondary. Okay. And I would have said that in 2015, one of the sneaky underrated players was Walter Thurmond. Um, I thought he had a very, very good year. Um, and we'll see if he comes back or not. Obviously, he's uh, set to be a free agent. But that's what makes it extra sneaky. That's well. I'm actually not. He was my pick for this past year. Oh, but okay. if we're talking about 2016, I'm gonna go with Eric Rowe. Mm, I think Eric yeah. Rowe's a guy that it just got more and more comfortable as the season went on. They finally said, okay, you're gonna be an outside corner, really because of necessity, because Nolan Carroll got injured and they had to slide him in there. But in the beginning of the season, he got you know a little bit of safety. He played a little bit of nickel. They moved, played him outside a little bit. But once they finally put him in a spot. And they threw in the fire against Detroit, didn't have a great game, didn't have a terrible game, but it, from the naked eye, didn't seem like he had a good game. Um, but he just got better and better as the season went on. And I could just see him as a guy who really just takes off next season. Obviously, a second-round pick. The Eagles traded up into the second round to get him. Um, I think they really like him, and I think that if, if you say from the beginning of the year, okay, you're going to be an outside corner and just let him go, I think you could see Eric Rowe have a really nice second season. Uh, that, that was probably the first name that came to mind, if we're going sneaky. If we're going to go, I'll go different, and you went D-line, Fran. You went secondary, Alex. I'll go second level. I'll go Kiko Alonso. Oh, wow. Because sneaky, sneaky. everyone is thinking sneaky after Alonso. a, you know, I'm sure he would say a disappointing 2015, is he going to be able to rebound? New scheme, attacking scheme. You know, he's got the athleticism, he's got the length, the, the knee, I think, whether he admits or not, I think that's going to be the big question with him yeah. moving forward. You know, last offseason he was rehabbing from the ACL injury. He re-injured it in that week two game against Dallas and just never seemed right after that. You know, we saw flashes here and there. He has the entire offseason to, you know, get back to that level where he was as a rookie. Will he ever get back to the level? I don't know. But, you know, if you're looking for an athletic playmaking linebacker who can thrive in an attacking defense, you know, I'll throw him there as the sneaky pick for it. It is really sneaky because once you said linebacker, I thought you were just going to go with kind of the, the chalk answer there, which would be Jordan Hicks. See, I that's think. chalk yeah. answer, so. So, but good job. Good job being sneaky. So there we go. So, gentlemen, anything else? That'll do it for our mailing it in. That's going to do it for us here on the podcast. Any last thoughts as we. Glad to be back. Yes. I, I almost didn't remember the way into the building today. It's been so long. <laughs> Being down three weeks Pete, down is... in Mobile, I think I, I actually I looked at it and in a 26 day period I was in the office two days. Impressive. It's off season. Yes. Blazing, trailblazing, Alex Smith. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Did you take care of him, Fran? That's the most important thing. Of course. Oh, you got you got the you got the great uh, you got the great experience of Mobile and St. Pete for the first time. So you may have a garage door dropped on his head. No, thankfully. I heard you. I listened to the podcast where you guys were talking to Jimmy about that. And I just wanted to let everybody know that I was actually worried about Jimmy. I could see him bleeding from his head. Fran was just plugging the address into his phone where he had to go, like, ah, oh, sorry, I don't know. I, I, Alex was the one later on who said, like, do you not Jimmy, see that Jimmy was bleeding from his forehead? I said, no, I didn't even uh, notice. It's practice. <laughs> it's practice it was like, there was like two distinct cuts on his head. Uh, anyway. All right, uh, for all of us here, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast.